This is episode 130 with Jesse Strawham. Welcome to the Pursuit of Happiness podcast. I am your host, Ryan McGuire. And if you are in pursuit of your own happiness, this is the podcast for you. Join me along my own journey in finding happiness as I cover topics such as health, wellness, mindset, travel, adventure, dating, relationships, and so much more as I interview some of the most passionate and successful people in the world. And I could not be happier to bring back Jesse Strawham, who first appeared on the podcast about a year ago in episode number 92. Now, if you have not listened to that episode, I'm not going to tell you to turn this one off. You don't need to do that, but you do need to go back and listen to it because it was one of those episodes that has stayed with me and will stay with me forever. Jesse Strawham, about seven, eight years ago, was declared dead twice after being a passenger in a motorcycle accident, which left her paralyzed, which she actually says that she's grateful for. She has an absolutely unbelievable mindset since that day from an accident that most people would never recover from physically or mentally. So not only is Jessie surviving, she is thriving. She's completed numerous Tough Mudders. She created her own fitness app, Wheel With Me, for users that are in wheelchairs. She's been all over national media for her story and her success. And I could not be more thankful for her joining me once again on my podcast. I actually wondered if our second conversation would live up to the first one. And I can say for certain that it did. And I cannot wait for you all to listen to this episode. If this episode does not inspire you and motivate you to do better in life and to achieve the most that you can, I don't know what to tell you because... This episode will do just that. Jessie is a warrior. She is welcome back anytime in this podcast. And as I mentioned, I can't wait for you all to listen to this episode. So without further ado, here we go. Part two with Jessie Strawham. Hey, there we go. Hi. The incredible Jessie Strawham is back. Good to see you again. Good to see you too. For real. It's good to see you. Seriously. Like I, I think a lot of times people just say that. Like, hey, good to see you. No, it's wow. actually really good to see you. Those teeth are still looking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Already know. Already know. As before. Are you still working um at the what was it? The orthodontal office? Is that what it is? Yeah, I'm not. Um, so I broke my spinal fusion in my back and I'm having surgery on the 22nd of this month. Oh. <sighs> You say that with a smile. This is going to be yeah. an incredible episode once again. Um, yeah, you mentioned yesterday. Uh, we're, we're going, by the way. Let's just let's just roll. Oh, let's go. It. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, let's just do it. Um, you, so you mentioned yesterday in your message to me that you're having a spinal fusion. What's what's going on with that? Why? Why? Where did that come from? Um, so my back is fused from like the top of my thoracic spine to the bottom. Uh, so I have rods and screws in there holding everything together. And I just, I'm gnarly, man. I live life super full and I don't know what I did. I just twist my body too much and uh, it broke in half. So I have to go in and have the rods replaced. Uh, This is the second time doing it in the eight years I've been paralyzed. 
Wow. Okay. So you literally, did you snap a rod? Right. Yeah. I snapped the rods, like just completely in half, um, like right at my bra line. Oh my God. So are they kind of like, Jesse, what are you doing? <laughs> or have they expected this now at this point? Yeah, they, um, so I have a new surgeon this time and, uh, he is just like, this doesn't really, this isn't common. They don't typically break. We're going to put thicker rods in. Um, cause I went in and proposed a whole treatment plan to them. I was like, look, this is what we're going to do. Wow. Okay, we're going to go ahead and remove everything. And then I never have to see you guys again. And they're like, oh, no. <laughs> so apparently my, uh, when I broke my back in my accident, um, the one, top vertebrae that broke, it just completely burst fractured. So it just never healed properly. Um, whereas the bottom one just broke. So because that top one's not healed properly, I will never be able to go without the spinal fusion. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, maybe, you know, this, maybe you don't like, since you've had your initial surgery, how has technology changed? I'm assuming it's changed a little bit. Have you seen any ways that it's changed? No. No, not really. They use the same hardware. Um, I do have questions to ask the surgeon and he just, I'm waiting for him to get back to me about like the length of the surgery and you know, how much muscle strength am I going to lose in my back? Cause like the surgery got scheduled back in May. They just didn't have time to get me in until August. Jeez. And so I wasn't thinking about this surgery back in May. I was thinking about going to St. Louis and having my summer camp and going to LA. So I'm like, I had all these other big things. And now the next big on my list is the surgery. So I'm like, okay, now I have questions and I'm just waiting for him to get back to me on those questions. Jeez. Okay. Well, do you have any idea what the rehab kind of looks like? I mean, you've said you've done this before. What does that entail? Um, so that's one of the questions I have. We haven't really talked about that. I know I'll be in the hospital probably for a week. Um, that's how it was last time. And then it's really cool. Cause I get to see my same PT that I had when I initially got paralyzed. Um, so I already texted her and I'm like, Hey, I need you to do me a massive favor on August 23rd. You're going to come get me out of the bed. We're going to have grease boom box in, and you're going to make me get to work. <laughs> and so it's really cool that I have that relationship with in hospital physical therapist that I'm like already setting up my care while I'm in the hospital. And then when I get out, I mean, it's going to be continued on. I've been doing 75 hard to prepare for surgery. Nice. And so like after I get out, it's just continuing those habits and routines. I really, I don't want to make any, any, I don't want to like make any predictions on how it's going to be, but my goal, I've got to be recovered in three weeks because I'm giving a keynote in Baltimore. <laughs> if anybody can do it, it's you. Um, so I, I'm, I'm taking notes as we talk. Um, I imagine you being so active with fitness and building strength is going to play a huge factor and you bouncing back faster, right? I mean, I imagine it's for everybody, but you have to feel pretty good about that. At least that you've been so active, that's probably going to help you. Well, when I found out I had to do surgery, I actually contact, contacted my primary care doctor and I said, Hey, you need to get me back in physical therapy. I need to be working on standing mobility um, balance, core strength, back strength. And so I've been doing PT since June to work on these things, to get my back and shoulders as strong as possible. So that way, when they do cut me open, I'm, they're cutting through like that strength is what I'm thinking. Right. Like if my body, pure muscle, strong, man, pure muscle, baby, just cutting through pure muscle. I know. And so <laughs> if they're, 
if I'm strong going in, my goal is to be strong in that recovery. And a lot of people, when they get hurt, they automatically think, oh, I can't do anything. Cause that's what happened before I saw the surgery. I stopped doing everything, all activity Mm -hmm. and my mental health immediately tanked. I was upset. I was feeling better. I wasn't feeling good. Didn't have energy and was just not in a good place. And so rather than when things happen to us, rather than stopping and being like, wait a minute, I shouldn't be doing these things. No, you dig in harder. So what I did was I just started working out. I did 75 hard. I like committed to that. I'm like two workouts a day. Cool. One of those will be physical therapy, mobility focused. Then the other one could be strength focused. As soon as the surgeon cleared me to lift weights, I was like, all right, let's go. But the key is asking those questions. So many times we just assume you've got to ask and take control of your care and take control of your life. If you're not willing to take control of your life, then you're going to be living in the dark and living on assumption. And when you live on assumption, you're not really living a full life. Mm. I love it. I love talking to you. Um, you you mentioned 75 hard a few times. I've had someone on a few podcasts to go be shoy. Um, we talked about it briefly, but I want you to explain what 75 hard is for people listening. They're like, what is 75 hard? Um, if you can explain it and also explain like how it's also helped change your life for the better. Right. So 75 hard is the first part of a program called the live hard program created by Andy Priscilla. Um, so 75 hard is 75 days straight, no alcohol, no cheat meals. You do two 45 minute workouts a day, regardless of whether one has to be outside. You drink a gallon of water a day. You pick a diet and stick to it. But remember no alcohol, no cheat meals. That's like no sugar, no chocolate chips, nothing. I, I avoid processed foods when I do it. I do macro tracking and goal of meeting protein and calories. And then I just like, don't eat any processed food. Um, take a progress picture every day, which is, that's someone that would get you. Um, and read 10 <laughs> pages of a nonfiction and personal development book every day. Now, a lot of people think it's a fitness challenge. It's not. What it does for you mentally by committing to you for 75 days unapologetically, no deviations, you're just 100% committed to you, your growth, and your well-being. What that does for you is, is beyond any fitness physical change. The mental growth you get from this program is everything. And I went, I was, when I found out I had to have surgery, I was like, I don't want to die. That was my first thought. I'm like, I'm not ready to die. Oh my. And that's all I get to keep thinking about was dying. And I'm like, if I keep thinking about this, I'm going to die. And so I left summer smash. I went to first forms, uh, fitness event in the summertime. It's this really fun festival for fitness, uh, with music and everything. And it's hello hosted by first form, which Andy Priscilla owns. So I went to the summer smash and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to commit. Like it's, it's time. I'm just going to commit. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a lot of mobility, a lot of things get my shoulder health where it needs to be. So I'm going into this as mentally prepared as possible. And it's like I the growth that you get. So this is my second time doing the program. I've made it to day six of phase three in the Live Hard program. Um, but this is my second time doing 75 hard all the way through. And it's really cool because this time I got other wheelchair users to come with me. So another wheelchair user in the fitness space, her name's Nikki Walsh. She 
I was like, it's time, girl, let's commit, do it with me. So she committed. And then my roommate committed a couple of days later, our other friend, Leslie started it. And then our other friend, Lisa started it. So we're all in a group chat together, doing it together. We're five wheelchair using boss bitches, just out here making a difference in our own lives. And then taking that difference we've made in our own lives and making a difference in others. So often we're just so focused on self and we don't think about the impact that we can make on our circle. And it all starts by leading by example. So if you make that commitment to become the best version of you, to do the things that it's going to take to be strong mentally, be strong physically, those in your inner circle are going to see that and it can make an impact on them to do the same thing. That's like leading by example is the biggest way to make change. And if we want to see change, it starts with us. We have to be the ones to initiate that change. That's, that's amazing. I love it. And one of the questions I had here was like 75 hard. Do you do it with like a community? And it kind of sounds like, yes. Do you do this like on an app or do you kind of hold each other accountable, like off of an app, just maybe through text and phone calls or something? How does that work? So there is the 75 hard app that you can download and it's really cool because it keeps track of all the pictures. If you fail, it keeps track of that. And so it's really cool to look back on my previous journeys in it and see how different this one is. This time I'm more, um, you keep notes about each day in it and I'm more productive in making those notes and actually using the app and utilizing the app to its fullest potential. And again, it's just really cool to have this resource that you can always refer back to and see where you were at. But the again, the mental growth that comes when you commit to you, it's unreal because I no longer identified by my wheelchair. Mm. About it, it was like day probably day 50, day 60, the first go around, it changed the whole way that I view myself. Um, I don't see myself. I really don't. I just don't see myself as disabled. I see myself as a powerful being. I don't lead with, I use a wheelchair. It's no, I launched a business. I launched Mm -hmm. a nonprofit. And when we stop identifying by our struggle and using that as our core identity as who we are as a person. And we actually identify by who we want to be and, and who we desire to be perceived as in this world, the less you feel like a victim and the more you become the victor and the less you have patience for other people's victimization of self. And I think that's where the disconnect's been all these years between myself and the disabled community is because I have this mindset because I committed to myself for such a long period of time and committed to my strength, my development, my growth, and, and just becoming more reflective of self and seeing the way that I project my view of me onto the world. So if I see myself as a victim, if I see myself as struggling, if I see myself as lower than the rest of the world, then that's the way the world's going to see me. But when I raise myself up to their same level and say, no, I'm right where you're at, this wheelchair has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> that's that is when you become powerful and you see the power in your struggle. Yeah. Yeah. This is awesome. Um, after 75 hard is done, like, especially from your previous experience, like why do people keep it going after, or is it like, are people like, thank God it's over and they get right back to where they were? Like, what's your experience been? So my experience, I, um, my first round, I finished on my best friend's wedding day. <laughs> so, um, it was literally day 75 was the wedding day. So the next day I had the wedding cake and like enjoyed, but I also stuck to it to an extent, but it's almost without that structure. You, If you didn't completely transform, you won't stick to it because we always have this baseline 
Um, Ed Milet calls it your thermometer um, mm. that would keep your house regulated, right? If your base is 70, yeah, it will go above that, but then it kicks on and it brings it back down. Mm. And that's the same way that our, our mind works. If you go above where you've been, but you don't continue the habits that got you there after you get to that point, you'll always return back to that baseline. Yeah. And so a lot of people will continue the program for that reason. Um, I went back. I, so I did phase one oh, about a month afterwards, which phase one adds a couple more tasks. It's like 10 minutes of dedicated visualization. Um, you have a five minute cold shower, which to this day, I still take cold showers from five home. minutes. That's no joke. That's a long yeah. time for a cold shower. Wow. Oh, it's mm -hmm. great. No, it's great. I take my whole shower cold now. Like <laughs> I wash my hair and everything. Cause it feels, we don't realize how much the heat tenses everything up. And so my whole body would be tense. I'm like, oh my gosh, I get out of a hot shower feeling worse. I get out of a cold shower feeling better. Oh, so why wouldn't I just stay committed to that? <laughs> oh yeah, no, I I, mean, I like that. Yeah, because I because you get the feeling like the 75 hard is awesome, but it's like do people just kind of revert to their life afterwards, back to what it was, or is it something that people can kind of stick with afterwards? Because you feel so powerful. You basically just said how powerful you feel when you do it. It's almost like. See if you can kind of continue those habits just through everyday life or whatever. So um, what, what book are you currently reading? Um, oh my gosh. You would ask me that. Oh, um, <laughs> uncomfortable conversations with a black man. Yeah. That's interesting. How is it? It's, I hate it. It's very, <laughs> and like, it, it's the victim. It's very victimized and it sucks. Um, but I'm using it for a project on my that I'm doing on my own. And so it was something that I had to read. Um, I, I see some points of where he's coming from, especially from the disabled community side. But I also know that a lot of the things are disability, like it's our fault. It's the person with the disability's fault for the way we perceive ourselves and the way that we move in the world. Hmm. Again, if, if, if we want to see change, if we want people's perspective of us to change, we have to change the perspective we have of self. And we have to have an honest conversation with our actions, uh, with the way that we live, with our habits. Are we falling in to the patterns that the people are accusing us of? And if we are, then how can we even be mad that they're accusing of us, us of this? Because it is true. If, 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 if it's true for the majority, that is what's going to be perceived of us. So while you might be a productive, independent member of community, if the rest of your community isn't, then that's what it's going to be perceived. And so until we change the way the majority is perceived, our view in society won't be changed. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I realize we kind of started off just with a bang here. And I partially it's because we've, we've had a conversation before yeah. um, about your disability, how that came about and we can, we can just chat about that real quick for people who haven't heard it, but for people who haven't heard it, please go listen to our first conversation and listen to the other podcasts that you've done and, and speaking engagements. Cause it's, it's just brilliant. Um, let's, like I said, let's hit on that real quick. So just to kind of okay. catch people up and then we'll keep moving forward. But, um, what's it, has it been like seven, eight years now since you've had your accident and you yeah. died, literally died twice. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I was a passenger on a motorcycle. A woman made a U-turn into the bike. Driver went through her back window, broke his leg. I went over the SUV, broke my back in two places, chest completely collapsed, ribs punctured my lungs, nicked my spinal cord, have a traumatic brain injury, encoded twice and had to be resuscitated. So 
very blessed to be here. And I, I feel that I'm doing God's work every day. I launched uh, the first fitness app for wheelchair users by wheelchair users called Wheel With Me Fitness. And I, I have a nonprofit that serves the independence of wheelchair users. And we're just out here trying to make a difference every day. That's awesome. Yeah, we're going to hit on a, a lot of that. Um, how much do you remember from that accident? Is it just like up to a certain point and you blacked out or do you do you remember it? Uh, the last thing I remember was metal crunching. I saw the woman, she wasn't slowing down the driver, the bike wasn't slowing down. And so I just held on as tight as I could tucked into his back and uh, hope for the best. Here's a really random question um, for you may not know the answer to this, but for somebody that's bracing for an accident, is there a, is there a specific way to brace for an accident or are you just kind of, it is what it is. I don't think that was a good idea. I probably should have bailed <laughs> hmm. realistically. I don't know. I, I can't. I mean, everything I happened so fast, it. you know? Yeah, it did. It was, it's so fast. And so like my first thought was brace and because I was on a, a crotch rocket, so I, the passenger sits higher I just ejectoed over the SUV and landed. Honestly, though, it's a blessing. Like I was saved the day before my accident. I was an atheist up until the day before. Didn't believe in anything. Um, went to my friend's grandmother's funeral and like felt warmness over me as the pastor was speaking. And then the next day I'm in my accident code some point, see my own grandmother who passed when I was a kid. And she told me it wasn't my time. She couldn't stay with me. I couldn't stay with her, but I had things to do and people to get back to. So here I am living that purpose. It definitely took a minute to get to this point, but now that I'm here, I'm like, oh, I understand. I get it. Yeah, I actually, I was, so I listened to our conversation again, because I wanted to prepare myself for this conversation. And one of the things I wish I asked you about more, and I'm going to do now because I have the opportunity, is that almost afterlife experience. Talk to me, like what happened can you remember the imagery? Can you remember all of this? Like, I think what it's the greatest question of life is like, what happens after we die? And you kind of had that experience. So to go into detail. I really want to know this. So I don't know, like, I have no idea of timelines, anything like that. Um, I just remember everything being dark. And then all of a sudden it was light. And I saw my own grandmother and she was a taller, skinnier version of my mom. Um, and she looked a little younger than she did when she passed. And she said, Jesse May, which my name is Jesse Michelle. Only my grandmother called me that. She had weird nicknames for everybody. And so she said, Jesse May, it's not your time. I can't come with you. You can't come with me. But there's things you have to do and people you have to get back to. So you have to go now. And then everything went black again. So it was like this white, it was literally just white and her. And she was just bright and beautiful. And it was my grandmother, grandma voice. And she just had to send me back. So I wake up, I tell my mom this, and then I pass back out. And my mom looks at my dad and my mom's like, John, she died. She talked to my mom. She had to have died. And it wasn't until two, three weeks later, my dad got my medical documentation to su submit to Aflac accidental. And it showed on there coded twice and had to be resuscitated. Wow. Okay. So it, do you know the actual time frame that you were out when you had that conversation with your grandmother, you don't know if it was like days or minutes or you don't know. I have no clue. I, I don't remember like that. I remember that. Um, I remember seeing my cousins, Matt and Jeff. I remember my older sister coming down, um, my best friend, Jessica being there. She was there pretty much the whole time. Um, my own sister, my younger sister, and then um, my uncle Pat 
came to visit. And I remember asking if I was dying because my uncle Pat never left the state of Ohio. So I'm from Ohio. Mm. I was like, I literally looked at my mom. I'm like, am I dying? Why is he here? (laughs) I had no idea how bad it was. I didn't even know I was paralyzed or have like conceptualization of, of paralysis and the fact that I was never going to walk again until probably like five to seven days later Mm. when a nurse was cathing me and I like woke up and my legs are open and there's this nurse and I didn't feel it. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I'm draining your bladder. And I'm like, why can't I just go to the bathroom? Mm. And she's like, oh, sweetie, you have a spinal cord injury. You're paralyzed. And I'm like, but yeah, why can't I just go to the bathroom? Mm. I didn't understand that. And so like early on in the injury, I think something that a lot of people don't understand. It was always, when are you going to walk again? When are you going to walk again? When are you going to walk again? And I'm like, shit, I'm just trying to figure out literally how to shit and pee Mm. and like manage these things. And not only that, but mentally feel sexy and feel okay sitting. Um, Nobody looks good sitting. I mean, it's very rare, right? We're kind of like mush and it's very hard even to this day not to have this view of my body and myself of like, Oh, I look like a melted ice cream cone. Like I literally have a hard time fighting that negative self-talk about my physical appearance because that's just the way I, like, I see myself. It's very hard. Um, and a lot of people don't see that side of the injury. They only see the fact that we don't walk and it's like, no, we're, we're constantly overcoming bias and stigma and other people's perspective of our reality and proving that wrong. It always feels like you're trying to prove something, uh, just getting through each day. Like, it's like, what's my pain going to be today? How much function am I going to have? How's my bladder going to act? Because it's never consistent. There is no consistency in disability at all. And that's the biggest thing that's overlooked. And we're constantly fighting for accessibility. Like, it's 2023. The ADA was passed over 30 years ago, but half this country isn't accessible. Yeah. I want to talk about that momentarily real quick. I do want to kind of keep going back to this thing. So you said your religion, your beliefs changed. Um, just explain that. Uh, it's pretty clear why, but maybe just explain how it's changed and what you actually believe in now, because you've experienced something. I think a lot of people just not a lot. It's true. A lot of people just put faith into how they were raised or, you know, what their parents believed in or what church they were brought to or whatever. You actually had an experience. So you almost have like more of a reason to believe what you believe. So just dive into that for a minute, if you could. So, <laughs> um, I really didn't pour into my faith until about five years into my injury. Remember earlier when I said we always have that baseline? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was an atheist turned believer, but I still have that baseline, right? Mm-hmm. So I didn't pour into my faith. And I had found a church here and I went to church for a couple of years and I really enjoyed it, but I just didn't connect with the church. And so then I was like, well, let, let me just move on. Like, let me run my life. Let me do this. Mm-hmm. And in 2020, I had a cousin who committed suicide. And a year previous, my niece had committed suicide. And both times I felt jealousy that they were no longer struggling with their pain. Mm. And it was after my cousin committed suicide and we're in the midst of all these lockdowns and everything that I'm like, wow, I shouldn't be feeling jealousy that somebody's life is over when I still have so much life to live. And so I gave my life to God. I'm like, God, 
I'm giving it to you. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what my purpose is, but I promise if you show me, I will do your work. I will do what it is. And God literally, it was like, okay, I've been waiting for you to to give yourself to me, child. Here it is. And things just started happening. And it's like life started happening for me after that. And any time that I, I tried to run life and I tried to direct its course, I started getting these feelings of negativity and upset and like feeling like a victim and feeling like I can't and doubt. Whereas when I give it to God, I just know it's going to, it's going to work out. It's going to do what it is. I'm doing the work on this side. God's going to do the work on the other side. And that's really the biggest thing. Like now I understand why life was so hard Hmm. before I was paralyzed. Now I understand why I struggled so much. And it's because I was trying to manhandle my purpose and it wasn't, it wasn't my purpose, right? Like we try to live this life that we think is right for us. We try to do what we want and we think is the right thing to do. And a lot of times that's not it. And we get away from God. We stop giving our purpose this higher power source creator, whatever it is. Like I pray to God, but everybody has a higher power that they look to. And so if you're truly giving it to your higher power, like, are you truly giving it to them or are you doing it with like selfish motivation? Are you doing it with just you trying to run things? And I think that was the biggest thing. And the more I reflect, the more I see that when I manhandled life, life manhandled me. But if I gave it to God, Hmm. God gave me purpose and direction and, and the resources needed to make that purpose and direction happen. Do you think what you saw was like a glimpse of heaven or was that something else? What do you, what are your thoughts? I think it was between probably between worlds. Um, It was, I think it was like my grandmother saying, it's not your time. Like you can't, you can't come here. This is as far as you're getting. Um, I do believe in, in like when, when we die, I will be free. I will, I will have a full, fully functioning body again. I will, I will get to go back and I hope to get to come back to this world as another person and get to do it all again. <laughs> would you want to, that's the thing is like, if you get to come back, would you want to know that you're back or is it just yeah. fresh, fresh slate though? I, I think that would be interesting if knowing you were back with the previous life, that would be amazing. If you come back and didn't know it, you wouldn't know. <laughs> I don't know. But it's so cool to get to like do it again and like right? would always would you always be this being that you were here like with the power and the potential would you be able to find it sooner and would you know through your actions and your experiences and the way you react that oh I've done this before like there's just so much like I just think it would be a cool concept it, it is super I love having these conversations because it's just you never know and you're like the closest thing to it that I can like have this conversation like what do you think because you've experienced some of this before so I imagine. I could be wrong. I imagine when you pass, when we all pass or whatever, you will see loved ones again, family again. I, from your experience, is that kind of what you assume now? Do you have more comfort now in when that day comes? Because you've already kind of did that. Yeah, I definitely. I have more comfort for when that day comes. And when it's my time, it's my time. I can't argue with it. I'm definitely not ready now. Um, but we're it's talking not- decades. <laughs> right, decades. Like I have a lot of work left to do, I feel mm-hmm. like. Um, but 
it's nothing to be scared of. Honestly, if, if you live a purposeful life, like even now I've, I've put things in place, I've started things on, on, and I went first in certain areas to show other people what's possible. And there's plenty of other people that are coming after me that are going to be able to continue to carry that torch. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like the, again, I've been doing a lot of reflection going into surgery. And so I think the biggest thing I've got is, is the more impact you make today, the more that you, the more you do for others today, the more impact you can have in the future mm. and the more purposeful your life is, the more fulfilled you feel as a human being. When you live a life serving others, helping others, uplifting your fellow human, whatever it is, for me, it's independent longevity of independence for wheelchair users with fitness and nutrition, right? Like I am passionate about that. But whatever it is that you're passionate about, the impact that you make, it's needed, it's necessary. And, and we have to be willing to pour into that and, and give our all to that because that purpose is going to allow you to feel like you're living a fulfilled life. Yeah, I think what's amazing as you talk is like, you know, after we're talking decades away, thank you for allowing me to get very deep and honest with you too, is like decades after we're not here anymore, your legacy, what you're doing will live on. That is so awesome. And that's honestly like a little small driving force of this podcast is knowing that like hopefully decades down the road, but like when I'm not here, my voice will live on. People will listen to these episodes. I'm still making an impact and what you're doing is going to make an impact well after we're gone, which is got to be one of the most fulfilling and rewarding feelings you can possibly have as a human being. Right. Well, one of the biggest things I look at my vision board, cause I have this little pin pinned to it and it's mm -hmm. a Nobel Peace prize. And I, my goal in life is to do something so impactfully good for humanity that I'm recognized with a Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. Like that, and not, not me, but my organization, right? Like I, I want us to make such a massive impact on our community because it's not just me. I couldn't do it with my team, without my team. Like I definitely, I couldn't do anything I do at the level I do without the people around me. And, uh, I want us to have something to make that massive of an impact on society that we have are recognized on that level. Awesome. If only everyone thought that way, geez, you know how much further we'd be in life in so many different areas. Oh and gosh. speaking of how much further, um, I do want to hit on something that you were kind of going towards before I kind of brought us back. But um, in your experience, how has accessibility changed? what still needs to change and what are some perhaps facts or things that people can be aware of or just see on like a daily basis that can make, we'll just say people's lives better that perhaps, you know, are in wheelchairs and stuff like that. And I asked this because I remember Brandon Winfield, the conversation I had with him was very eye-opening when he was just saying like, people leave things on the sidewalks. Don't do that. It was just like, Things like that, I was like, you know what? I am aware now. Now I'm aware. So I want you to give you the opportunity as well to make people aware of just simple things that they can change and make different. I will say I'm very grateful. I've got to travel um, out of the country this year. I went to the Bahamas, Amsterdam, Sweden. Yeah, we'll talk about the Bahamas too. I want to hit on that because I know that was that big prize. Good for you. Um, the Bahamas were very inaccessible and there would be like a light pole in the middle of the sidewalk. So we'd have mm -hmm. to bump down the sidewalk, go in the road, come out. And it made me grateful for the accessibility in America, but 
I read Judy Human's book called Being Human, and she was the godmother of the accessibility disability rights movement as a whole. Um, she had polio, was born in the 60s, um, tried to go to school during that time, and they put people with physical disabilities with people with cognitive disabilities. Hmm. So imagine me being in a class with somebody with a cognitive disability. And so that's the level of education they were allowed to get if they were allowed to go to school. She had to fight to just be able to go to school. Um, so I think back to that time and I'm like, wow, we're very fortunate. But even now to this day, st they still do that. So somebody that's not able, maybe with CP that can't speak clearly, they have a fully functioning mind. They just can't get the words out. They're in a class with the cognitively disabled. Mm. How that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. And, and a lot of times when you're physically disabled, you're looked at like you're also mentally disabled. And that's not the truth. So that's one barrier in itself. But then let's go to physical barriers. People putting their garbage cans on the sidewalks. The scooters. The scooters are the worst. Um, leaving trash. When I was just recently in LA, a homeless person took a crap on the sidewalk and I rolled through it. Mm. Um, I was following too closely to the girl in front of me on in her chair and I didn't see it rolled right through it. So now I have human shit on me. That's not even my own. Um, I was very like, you don't think about these things. People that spit on the sidewalk. Now I have that on my wheels. Like the world's disgusting and people are gross and we need to be better. Like accessibility and accessibility barriers, a lot of them are caused by our fellow human being and them just not paying attention, them being ignorant. The other issue is we're doing things for accessibility without having people that we're servicing, the disabled community, in the conversation. So how can you create accessibility when you don't even have the people that you're trying to serve in that conversation? You can't. You can't mm -hmm. do that. I mean, mm -hmm. you're not going to get, you're not even serving those people. You're just doing something to make you feel better. So a good example of this is hotel showers. You have a roll-in shower. The controls are on one side of the shower. And then on the complete other side is the bench. All the soaps and everything are also over there. And you're over here on the bench. And so mm -hmm. they, they don't think things through. They're not completely thought out. It's like, it's cool. Thank you. Thanks for the thought. But if you would have included us in the conversation, it would have been actually something we could have used. Mm. Now you just have this thing that's unusable for us. And honestly, universal design. Universal design would completely transform accessibility as a whole and really help the future. So something that I thought was really cool in Sweden is when you build a new home in Sweden, it has to be compliant. Like there has to be a Th no threshold as far as getting into the home. You have to have an accessible bathroom downstairs, an accessible bedroom. Like you have to have access in the house. That's amazing because as somebody that's looking at buying a home, I have to transfer and bump up the steps just to get into the house. I get into the house, can't get into the bathroom. So now I'm looking at purchasing a house and having to remodel the bathroom just to be able to get in of something that I could afford, right? So it's like, there's all of these barriers that are just, it's because we're an afterthought. And another great example, um, I, I went to NCI's coaching con earlier this year and was very fortunate to have a conversation with Rob Bailey, Dana Lynn Bailey's uh, husband. And they just built this massive facility out in Montana for Flagner Fail. And he's like, we get to the end of building it. And then they're like, oh yeah. And we have to add these things for accessibility. And it's all this extra money. And he's like, it's the last thing that was thought about 
in our building plans. We never thought about it. And now I'm looking here. There's a little boy that was at the event as well that used a wheelchair. And so he's looking at Layton and myself and he's like, now I'm looking at you two in this fitness space that I'm like, you were an afterthought Hmm. and that's not cool. And he's like, and you just changed my perspective. And so the biggest barrier that the disabled community puts up in accessibility is, is by labeling. A lot of people want to use this term ableist, which is like the disabled version of racism. And while there are bad people out there that are just dumb and rude and literally do discriminate against people with disabilities just because they're ugly people, we have that with any minority. People will mm-hmm. always discriminate against somebody, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't make other people's ignorance to disability something that makes them purposely discriminating. Because I, as somebody that became a disabled person 22 years into their life, I had those same stigmas in my head. Mm. And if I saw the disabled community out here making a difference, using their voice and and raising awareness on this, there's a very good chance that that stigma can be broken. So it's up to the community. It's the community's responsibility. And rather than creating division with words like ableism, create unity by educating because the disabled community is the only community that doesn't discriminate. Anybody can be added to it at any moment. How do we go about getting you a seat at that table? What's the process? I imagine knowing you, you've been knocking on doors. Can I assume that? I mean, because you have a loud voice. You're someone that wants to make an impact. What's the process? How do we start getting your voice at the table? What do we have to do? So I personally have been working with a disability um, accessibility attorney, and we're going after big corporations for the wrongs that they're doing, but that, that that's not enough. It, it takes the community using their voice. There's this thing called the role in Capitol Hill. Like we need non-disabled people to care. We are a small population. We are a minority population. And unless we get the non-disabled community to support our cause and realize again that this is the one community you can always be added to Mm -hmm. if you aren't willing to help us now it's going to really hurt you later on because everybody ends up at a wheelchair at some point in their life we all get older and accessibility shouldn't be a thing it's think about moms with strollers yeah right like it's just it blows my mind that people make accessibility such an issue like it's not, it's not as complicated as we make it out to be. And again, because it, the reason it's being made out to be so complicated is because they're not asking the community and it, we are getting better about getting involved, but it, it's just going to take a force. It's going to take all of us, all of us joining together. And right now with the political climate of the world, people are, creating division by political beliefs and not seeing beyond that and getting past that. Like we can fight about whether we're red or blue later. Like we need to fight about the things we are agreeing about right now. Mm -hmm. And that that includes like for the disabled community accessibility. Um, One thing that I am trying to figure out how to make happen. um, I personally went back to work last year, got off completely off government benefits. And I am part of this program. It's called the Medicaid buy-in program. So I pay monthly my Medicaid premium to have state covered insurance, which because I have medical supplies, because I have to go to the doctor regularly, like I need good insurance that covers that. Right. But there's a caveat. So even though you're buying into it, you can only have $2,000 of resources in your bank account. Mm. 
And it's like, that's not helpful mm -hmm. at all. And, and so now that you're creating more, it's like the systematic thumb that the government keeps you under whenever you're on their benefits. And I realized it when I got off benefits, I thought for so long that I would not, I thought for so long that I would not be able to be independent from the government. I thought that I needed that monthly check to be able to survive and that I could never earn enough money to pay for everything. And that was such a false warped belief. Um, there's been plenty of times at work that I've had bowel accidents, bladder accidents, um, that I haven't felt good. I haven't felt hundred percent and I was still able to show up mm -hmm. and working for a year straight, 40 hours a week, managing this back clinic of the orthodontic office, um, and, and working on patients and doing something I thought I couldn't do for so long. It empowered me and made me realize I allowed the government assistance and my disability to disempower me. Um, I really thought that I couldn't work full time. I really thought I wouldn't be able, and don't get me wrong. Like I was sore a lot of days I was tired, but I was still able to do it. And we limit ourselves more than we believe and being financially free from the government, not having income limits um, and not worrying about having to pay back if I earn too much money and actually conceptual, like having the idea of being able to buy a house and pay for a house. The fact that I've almost paid my car off. I paid over 10 grand off my car last year. That was huge. That was big for me. I've never done that in my life. I was able to save seven grand towards my house last year. Like I was able to actually make movements towards my future because I was willing to let that go, to let go of government assistance, to take this risk. But you don't realize how much they make you believe that you're not capable and that you can't do it. And that was the biggest thing that I, I learned was like, there's still room for the system to improve. Like this buy-in program, I need that insurance. Medical supplies are expensive. Doctor yeah. visits are expensive and paying. I don't earn enough to do that yet, but that's not the point. Like, I just want to be able to do something to help not only myself, but others realize they can get off of government benefits, still have insurance and be independent from the government. Go buy a house, go buy a new car, have a family, do the things like we should not be living in poverty. I made $18,000 a year off government benefits. Mm. That's, that's what I got yearly. I lived in poverty. I never qualified for food stamps, never qualified for Medicaid. I only had Medicare. So I also had to pay 20% of all of my medical benefits because my disability payment was too much to get food stamps or Medicaid. So you see how they yeah. keep you like they keep you trapped. The system's really broken by design, but you have these people that are living on it and 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 you have the generational poverty because of it. You see people that are like, "Oh, if my parents live on the system, I want to live on the system. If, I, if they don't have to work, I don't have to work." And it's it's hard to break out of that. That's something that I've I've seen just being a person that lived on it. And you said you're working with lawyers now to kind of tackle, is it tackling some of this stuff or is it more um, accessibility stuff? stuff? Yeah. So the keynote I'm giving in Baltimore is to the ticket to work program, which is um, it's a program when you're on social security, where you have this nine month limit where you can earn unlimited income and still collect your check while you like go back to work. 
Um, and I get to give a presentation on my experience through that and like my life experience and what I believe needs to change within the system. This is why I'm, I'm super glad to have a conversation with you and people like you, because it's, you know, ignorance of me, if you will, like of a lot of people who just don't even know this. I didn't know. Yeah. And that's, that's why, like, when I see people in the disabled community using this word ableism and saying how the disabled community is doing, or the non-disabled community is just doing injustices to us. Uh, I'm like, man, these people just are ignorant. They have no idea. Cause I didn't know. And I think back, I was an orthodontic assistant before I was injured. And we had this one patient who would come in sometimes on his crutches, sometimes on his wheelchair. He was around 10, 11 when we first started seeing him. And every time he came in, I thought, Oh, that poor kid. His life must be so bad. Mm -hmm. His life isn't bad. He plays wheelchair basketball at the University of Alabama, living his best life. Like the kid is living amazing life. Mm -hmm. And it was my perspective of his disability that had me have that view. So when I became disabled, I was like, oh, crap. All I could think about was what I couldn't do. And I was just thinking I'm in the middle of writing my book and one of the things I said I couldn't do anymore was hike and see waterfalls. And this week we went up to the mountains of North Carolina and saw that see a beautiful, massive waterfall and looking at the trail. Um, we had already hiked two other trails that day. So it was just too much to go down. But if that's my first hike of the day, it will take me probably five hours or so, but I can make it down to the base of that waterfall and go swimming. And that's like all I've wanted to do since being paralyzed and awesome. I just, my biggest thing after I got over the poor me was, okay, what can I do? How can I be as independent as possible in this chair? How can I allow this chair to do what it needs to do and take me places? My wheelchair is not a limitation. It actually makes me limitless because without my wheelchair, I would be bed bound. So I'm very grateful to have this chair and I have this badass chair with these big tires and the the shocks on it. And it allows me to go into the mountains and hike. Yeah. It's not the same way I did before. No, I can't go off the beaten path as much as I did before, but damn it. I try. And like I, my roommate, she's just learning like how to be really independent in the chair. And so I took her to the mountains of Tennessee and I'm like, Oh, this trail says easy for a walking person. Uh, so we go down this trail and all of a sudden it's just a straight drop roots, rocks, all this stuff. And we're traversing. I'm riding a wheelie. I'm bumping over stuff. She's not really good at wheeling downhill yet. And she yeets out of her wheelchair. Phone goes flying. Chair goes rolling. She goes rolling. And we get her back up and we keep going. But that's how we grow and develop because I was in that same space at one point where I would fall on my chair in nature. I got myself into these sticky situations, but that's how you grow and develop. And the more uncomfortable you make yourself, the more you're going to be able to grow, the more you're going to be able to be strong and independent and that's what's missing as wheelchair users like my mom pushed me if I fell on the floor she'd make me spend 20 minutes figuring out how to get back up and then when I couldn't she'd lift me up if I had an accident she'd make me clean it up until I couldn't anymore and then she would help me like my mom made me do things to make me independent now I remember it used to take me an hour to make my bed mm. Because she would make me make my bed. I'm like, you're such a bitch. You're so mean. I'm like, oh, you're calling my mom these names. And I get it now. 
she's like, Jesse, I'm an older mom. I'm not going to be here forever. I can't take care of you. You have to be independent. And I'm so grateful. She pushed me to those limits because it allowed me to push past that. Would I have drove across the country by myself three times? Probably not. Would I go camping in the mountains with my little pop-up tent by myself? Probably not. Would I go hiking out into the world? Would I try things? Would I would I do re- what people would consider reckless in my wheelchair? Hmm. Probably not. Like when we were when we were out in that mountain, I remember we get down to the bottom and we thought we were close to the waterfall. No, it's just another push back up to the top. And so we're halfway up that other push, wheeling over these rocks and roots and everything. And these people, four people go walking by and they're like, do you guys need help? And we're like, nah, we're on an adventure, man. And they're like, that's really badass. And that's how we break stigma. Mm. We, we do things that people don't expect us to do. For me, it's super extreme, but it could be something like I met a quadriplegic the other week who plays violin professionally without full use of her hands. Mm. And it's, she does a beautiful job. She played violin before it happened. And she's like, I'm going to continue to do what I love and do my craft. Is it as easy? No, it takes her longer to set up. It takes her longer to get the notes. It takes her longer to do everything, but she figured it out and she still does it professionally. Like you have to be willing to figure it out. And there's plenty of people that I'm sure are listening right now that aren't disabled. They're disabled by their mind. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think that's where you play such a powerful role is you show so much of what's possible with your mindset, even, you know, without the use of your legs or, you know, the whole woe is me attitude, you're still killing it way more than most normal bodied people. Right. I mean, it's, it is so inspiring. And I know we had our conversation almost a year ago and it's just something, there are certain conversations that stick with me, especially after I've done 130 of these, you're one of them for sure. You are by far one of the top conversations I consistently kind of go back to. Um, so if you're having that effect on me, I know you're having that effect on so many people. Um, and something that you just mentioned was when you passed those people on the trail, they said, do you guys need help? I think a lot of people, when they see someone in a wheelchair pass them and they're they're interacting with or whatever, that might be the first thought that comes to mind is how can I help them? Is that okay? Did you appreciate that? Or I know you're only one person, you're not everybody, so you can't speak for everybody, but just, I want to give people like, I don't know, a perspective from you. Like, did you appreciate that? Or was that kind of like the wrong thing to say? Well, it's the context, right? Like we are on a completely rocky, rooty trail that a lot of non-disabled people wouldn't even take. Mm. And now you have two girls in wheelchairs. (laughs) <laughs> somewhere. Which, I, I, how does that not inspire <laughs> like that was a really unexpected area for us to be so absolutely like I would expect somebody to be like do you need help but I, I really can't stand when I'm getting out of my car and someone's like do you need help or if I'm trying to open a door and someone runs out of nowhere just to open it mm-hmm. when people go out of their way to be extra helpful just because I use a wheelchair like if I was a walking woman and you wouldn't do that, then don't do it for me. That's the way I look at it. Like if it's, if I was walking, if you see a person in a wheelchair and you feel inclined to help them, if they were standing, would you feel inclined to help them? And if the answer is no, then no, 
don't ask me if I need help. If the answer is yes, then yes. If I need help, I'm going to ask you. Perfect examples at the grocery store. I'll be sitting in an aisle looking up at the thing I need. And then I'm like, all right, someone's going to come by eventually. And if someone doesn't come by, I go to the end of the aisle and I'm like, hey, would you mind helping me for a second? I just can't mm-hmm. reach something vertically challenged, you know, yeah. and I like make them laugh in the process. And and I, I open that conversation. I think that you should allow the disabled person to initiate and don't place your perspective of, of their reality on them. Because that's what, again, that's what disables people more. The more that you're told you need help, the more that you're told you're a victim, the more you're, these things are justified, the more you feel justified in living that way. I appreciate that answer. Cause I, I mean, I just think it's something, you know, if like you said, get down in the car or something like that, if someone's next to me, maybe I'm just kind of like, Hey, you know, do you need assistance? But I appreciate that perspective. Like I said, you're only one person, but you do speak for a lot of people at the same time. So I think that's super helpful. Um, I know we just kind of went over like a lot of things as far as like what people can do to help or avenues you're taking or things people are looking at. Um, can I assume that if someone has ideas or someone wants to have a voice with you, that they can reach out and contact you and talk to you about that? Absolutely. My, I do my best to reply to all my DMs. Sometimes it takes me a couple of days, but if you send me a message, I will definitely respond. Um, sometimes with a video, sometimes with text, it just depends. Like I, I love building relationships. I love the human experience. I think we're very fortunate mm-hmm. to be high thinking beings like we are and not enough people use their brain to its full capacity, but that's a different conversation for a different day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, the goal is just to help uplift fellow humans, right? Like even those people that aren't using their brain to the full capacity, like by you going first, you showing them what they're capable of that's going to give them confidence to be like, oh, maybe I can change. Like all it takes is that one addict overcoming addiction for another addict to be like, okay, maybe I can do that. Or that one wheelchair user living life to the absolute fullest, breaking barriers for you to be like, okay, maybe I can. Or that one single mom just bossing it out with her three kids, living life and, and making it work. And you being like, all right, I can leave this relationship that I'm not happy in and still make it with my kids. It's okay. Hmm. I think, I think there's a lot of power in everyone going first. I just, I listened to this, uh, Tony Robbins, Dean Graziosi, uh, event this week. And it's like the challenge your future event or, so, or own your future event. That's what it is. Um, and it's free on YouTube talent and recommend everyone just going to listen to it. But that's the one thing that Dean really hit on was the fact that we all have a story and our stories can somehow help somebody mm-hmm. and, and your human experience is your knowledge. And so you are doing our fellow humans a disservice by not giving that knowledge out and not, not putting that knowledge out into the world, not creating courses, not doing the things, right? Like you are doing a disservice to your fellow human that's struggling with that. And so if you've been struggling with telling your story and putting it out there, my thing to you is just do it, man, do it. Because there's always somebody going through the same struggle that understands what you're dealing with that can relate and needs that. Speaking of story, I know you said book. You mentioned it before. What's going on with the book? When are we going to have that? I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Some things fell through. uh, So we had to rework it. And then obviously with my back and everything. So we're Hmm. plugging through, working on getting it done. And I'm hoping to have it released next year. Okay. Um, 
but it definitely, yeah, it got postponed a little bit. What's the process been like writing a book? Just um, not necessarily the postponements or frustration, just the overall process. What have you thought about it? What's some things that you learned about writing a book in general? A lot. You got to be ready for a lot of self-reflection and like, I'm going back as far as my childhood. So it's Hmm. a lot of lessons learned along the way and a lot of lessons I'm realizing I learned, but never acknowledged. And I think that's the coolest thing, like reflecting on your life and what you went through. We are so focused on the next thing, the next thing, the next thing that we hardly ever reflect on what it was that we just went through, what we are doing, what we've accomplished. And I'm very guilty of this um, because I'm still in this. I'm still in the mindset of me five years ago where I haven't done shit about shit. Why would anyone want to listen to me? And I'm like, Jesse, yo, you this year alone, you've been on GMA and Mm -hmm. you've been in a magazine like you've grown an app. You're doing amazing. Don't even, don't discredit yourself. And I think we limit ourselves by discrediting ourselves and and our accomplishments and what we've done and how powerful what we've done is. Yeah. I've had so many times on this, this podcast conversations about imposter syndrome and people not thinking what they're doing is good enough. And I see you shaking your head and smiling. Take it away. Yeah. Take it away. Um, What are are your thoughts on imposter syndrome? Well, it never really goes away. Right. Cause right. again, you got to raise your thermostat. It's that baseline. And there's still moments where I'm like, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. But it's, it's acknowledging that having that realization of like, that's just your inner sabotage coming out. Um, I read a book back in July called positive intelligence, and I recommend everybody reads this book. It's definitely on my top three. Uh, and it's, bringing back awareness to that inner dialogue and what sabotage is sabotaging you at that moment. Mm. Um, so we all have different, there's nine different sabotages, And like one of mine is um, overachiever. And so if I'm not constantly overachieving, I'm talking down to myself. I'm not good enough. And it, it defines my worth. And, and it's breaking those, those limiters in our mind. So I recommend positive intelligence um, everybody go read that. It will completely open your mind and, and beating that imposter syndrome because that imposter syndrome is really your inner dialogue and those inner dialogue sabotaging you. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I really want to read that. It's one of those things that like you said never goes away, but if you have the tools to handle it properly, I, I feel like you can just attack it differently. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely in for that. I'll, I'll link everything you're saying. I'll link in the show notes so people can scroll down and, and click. Um, I want to hit on something you you said earlier was like Sweden um, had accessibility places, right? Is it Europe in general? Is it Sweden? Like, what are they doing right? Are they ahead of the game over there? Like, is their perspective different? What are your thoughts on that? Um, as far as I know, it was just Sweden. I, I gave a keynote there. And so I was talking to one of the higher ups at the company I was given the keynote for. And he was telling me about building a house and how it was taking longer because of the ADA stuff. And he's like, it's a Swedish thing. Um, which I think is really, it's incredible what that can do for the future of accessibility. Mm. But that can't even put that in words. Um, I will say, so I went to Amsterdam and that was an old city and it wasn't very accessible. A lot of the businesses had the ledges to get in. Um, It reminded me a lot of New York City. It was like the Las Vegas, New York City mashup with a lot less rules. Yeah. What it, does an old city that's tough, right? Because like I was I was just in Venice and it's like the same 
situation, right? Like, like yeah, cobblestone, you have every business. There was like a step to get into. Um, I booked the hotel like three months in advance and booked for an accessible room. Well, it never carried over. And so we get there and they're remodeling. And so they don't even, the hotel's not even accessible. So then we had to switch hotels. Hmm. Um, it was the cab driver was just not very happy with us. Cause he had obviously had to help load our stuff and like break down the wheelchairs and it was a downpour. So then we noticed he took the longer route to charge us more money. Um, and it was just, it was like very interesting as far as like, I couldn't have used my smart drive, which is my power assist there because the way the cobblestone was, if my front wheels would have caught in something, I would have ejectoed out. Mm. Um, there's a lot like the bridges, a lot of, you know, if you've been to Venice, the bridges mm. over the canals, those are very steep. Um, it just wasn't accessibility friendly, but it reminds me of New York city. New York city is literally the same way. Most mm. of New York city is not accessible. Um, it's very old and a lot of the buildings are old and, I again the ADA just needs updated. It hasn't been updated since it was passed over 30 years ago. Think about how much the world's changed in the last 30 years, but the accessibilities outline hasn't been updated. Mm. Um that's that's it's a frustration. I I believe universal design should be implemented for any new build. It should be mandatory that it's built with universal design. Um and then Anything that's remodeled has to be, if, if you're renovating, you have to make it accessible. How are you going to make something new and it not be accessible? And like you said, I think people kind of forget they can be in this club or whatever, so to speak, right? Tomorrow. Like if, if you take care of this for anybody else, it could be you tomorrow. You just, you never know. So it does make a lot of sense. It's not just like, Oh man, you're making me spend all this extra money for things I don't even need. You don't know that you don't need that either, right? right. So, and it's also think about our parents and as they get older and we have to take care of them. Think about having kids, yeah. right? If you're gonna have kids and you're gonna push a stroller. Don't you want life to be a little easier with those? You already are dealing with kicking and screaming kids. Do you really mm. not? want to have accessibility in that too. So it's not just accessibility for the disabled, it's accessibility for all. I'm curious because I do like to see how technology changes and evolves. Has technology on the wheelchair space evolved since you've started? I mean, yeah, I guess with the suspension chair, like I have my daily chair suspension, um, but not really. No, I think more of like walking stuff. People are always so focused on walking, which don't get me wrong. I get my leg braces because it's how I manage pain. I'm mm. standing while we do this in a standing frame because it's just an easy way to manage pain mm. um, and circulation and help bone density. Like there's obviously really impactful things to standing, but so many people that acquire this are focused on walking and, and being upright again. And it's like, realistically, that's not something that's really probably going to happen. And you end up wasting a lot of money and time. And I'm not saying don't get leg braces, don't get upright, but like, that's where a lot of the studies going. You see things like Neuralinks just being released to human trials. Ooh. Like, explain explain that. What's Neuralinks? Obviously, oh, that's Elon Musk's brain the chip. Brain, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, absolutely not. No, I think no. There is no, there is no place where technology should be integrated inside of a human being because now we're just like a weird cross of a robot. That's not. No, 
And with the AI and everything, I can go on a whole tangent on all of that. There's there there needs to be restrictions on how much technology is allowed to do because if not, we're going to be at war with technology one day. Mm-hmm. So you said, are you standing right now? Is that what you said? Yeah. <laughs> what's what's the how it is? You said leg braces, right? Like. Well, no, I'm right now I'm in a standing frame. So it's, um, there's a desk you're sitting on the desk. That's why it wiggles a little. Okay. Um, so you're on the desk and then like, there's this pad right here on my chest holding me up and there's, I transfer to it to seat, And then I just pump myself up with this little pumper. Okay. Yeah. I'm just, like I said, I'm super interested in technology, how things evolve and how we've grown. Um, I've, I've, I follow, uh, a lot of people, I say a lot. Just, I follow numerous people that have had paralysis, um, especially like you might be connected with. And I'll see like these videos occasionally where they're possibly in some like some kind of like walking mechanism or a brace. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is that something you, you're familiar yeah. with? Yeah, the rewalk. The rewalk? Yeah, so, like it walks for you. It's like this big robotic machine. Yeah. Do you you have experience with that? Yeah, yeah. So it's um honestly, it's the closest thing to feeling like actual steps. Um, but it's not covered yet, but they are working on Medicaid, Medicare approval to get it covered as a leg brace or an orthotic. How does that, so is that something you would be able to put on, let's say when you wake up in the morning and use it or how does that, how would that work? A lot of these things aren't really functionable for everyday use. Like my leg braces, because, so my injury is at my chest. Um, so I don't have much core strength. I've built some back, but it's just not a hundred percent. So I sway a lot. I don't have the balance to use my hands while standing. So that's something to consider. Like if you don't have the balance to stabilize yeah. hips and stand, it's not very functional. I do it for fitness more than anything. It's not functional for everyday use. My wheelchair is way faster. I get everything done. I need to do like, I'm all about efficiency, I have a lot to do in the day. And so for me, being in my leg braces all day would not be efficient with mm. my time. Yeah, just curious. Um, I don't know, you said you have a lot to do and fitness and you mentioned a wheel with me. So I think it's a great time to talk about wheel with me. What's going on with wheel with me? Is it still booming, still growing? He's yeah. still building that community. Talk about yeah, it. So um, wheel with me fitness is my fitness community that I started back in 2017 and we launched the first fitness app for wheelchair users in 2022. Very exciting. Uh, so we are in the iOS store and Google play store. We've been featured on the today show. Good morning, America, women's day magazine, shape.com, yahoo.com. Um, super, super cool. Everywhere.com. I know. I'm just so <laughs> grateful that people care that much and like share the message and share it. And it's just, it's, it's my baby. I love fitness. It gave me my independence. Uh, nutrition's my personal focus. I'm an NCI level one nutrition coach. Awesome. Um, yeah. So I, I do nutrition coaching for everyone. It's not just disabled people. So if you're like struggling to get your nutrition under control, I can definitely help you with that. Uh, but it's, it's so cool. But honestly, the other thing is wheel with me foundation, which I've kind of passed off to my wheelchair or to my uh, roommate. So she runs wheel with me foundation primarily now, and that's serving the independence of wheelchair users. And so right now we host quarterly empowerments where we talk about different topics related to disability. So it's different members of the community teaching their skill or trade or what they have knowledge on to the community. So this next one is in August and 
it's actually next week. And I'm teaching about sex and disability and gaining sexual confidence after disability. Um, and I'm very excited to get to share that and share my experience and, and share some tips and tricks for the community. But we've had everything from like how to build a resume, how to get a job, how to be an actor, um, how to be an advocate, fitness and nutrition. Like we offer a little bit of everything just so the community has options to choose from. Mm. And so when people follow you, do you give like access so people can actually tune in and chime in and help with this stuff? Or what's the best way for people to watch you and perhaps contribute to this? Um, if you guys want to help with we with me, Lee will take all the help possible, especially the nonprofit side. Just send me a DM and we'll have a conversation. Um, you can also follow Wheel With Me Foundation at Wheel With Me Foundation on all platforms. And then Wheel With Me Fitness at Wheel With Me Fitness on all platforms. I love it. This is awesome. And and I do want to hit on real quick. You said the Bahamas. like So the Bahamas was the trip that you had won from Good Morning America, right? No, that, that was the Today Show. The Today Show, sorry. And you had not taken it last time we talked. You just mentioned somewhat of a, a downside with the accessibility thing, but talk about talk about real quick to win a trip on a show. I'm always wondering what the hell is included, what's not included, what the experience is like. Talk me through that real quick. How was that? So, um, well, I haven't done taxes yet, so I know I will have to pay taxes on it. But I, it, the flights were included. Uh, the whole it was seven days at the Margaritaville in the Bahamas, right on the ocean. Uh, the only thing from a wheelchair standpoint, one thing I wanted to do was go swim with the pigs and none of the, mm. um, none of the tourist things because I used a wheelchair wanted to take the risk. So I wasn't mm. allowed to do that. So we ended up buying a snorkeling kit from the hotel and I was like, you don't want to take us on your excursion. Fine. We'll have our own. And we got the hotel staff to drag us out to the beach and we'd spend four or five hours on the beach. And then like, I'd crawl down and we'd go snorkeling and oh yeah. Go explore and enjoy and it because it was my roommate and I so she's a wheelchair user too so it was the two of us in the Bahamas I will say uh the one thing that we made a point to do was go in inland so we actually explored the island by wheel and we were trying to find an organic grocery store it didn't work out um we end up we didn't have cell phone service so I screenshot the map and we were following the map and then these people are like you're going the wrong way wrong way and we're like no this is the right way and then this guy tried to take us to a house. We almost got kidnapped. It was a whole thing. What? Yeah. So we hurried up and wheeled out of there, got out of there. That was literally day one. And I was like, all right, this woman said instant gopher. It's like a me a grocery delivery service. So we found a grocery delivery service, got groceries delivered because the hotel had a whole efficiency room. And the food on the resort was so expensive, so rich. And I wanted to obviously stick to macros as much as possible, even on vacation. And so we ordered groceries we got the hotel staff to fix the grill we grilled out we cooked in our room we like lived our best life uh got sun every day met these cool chicks from vegas went to a local bar almost got kidnapped um got to go and explore the shops went to the straw market got cool photos but really just like it was empowering to go to another country two wheelchair users by ourselves. And then she actually met me in Amsterdam. So I went to Sweden for five days and then my roommate met me in Amsterdam for that weekend. That's awesome. And um, so we also got to just the two of us explore Amsterdam, which is also super cool and crazy thing as we were sitting on the sidewalk having lunch and my wheel friend from the UK comes wheeling by as <laughs> we're eating lunch on the sidewalk in Amsterdam. And I'm like, Ellen? And she's like, 
Jesse, like, what are you doing? Holy over shit. Here? Yeah. And it's like, what are the chances of running into another wheel friend in a foreign country? But like <laughs> back to the Bahamas, when we went to that bar, the owner of the bar, he had a friend that used a wheelchair and he's like, look, we tried to like add these little ramps. It's like the sand ramp. They, they tried so hard to make it accessible for his friend. And his friend actually ended up passing away from sepsis because he didn't have the medical supplies he needed. because wow. in the Bahamas, they don't get what we get in America. Mm. And that, that made me grateful to live where we live. That made me grateful for how much that we actually do get. And it made it put things in perspective of how good we truly have it in America and, and how we don't see that often. You're right. You're right. Um, so hold on a second. I, I got to ask you, did they not pay for your food? No, food's not covered. Okay. I would have thought food would have been covered. So they sent you down there for free. They paid for your. the. But it was seven days, seven days in this resort. Like. Ah, they can afford it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. On. But it was crazy. It was just, it was a really, it was a really cool, really cool trip. I just awesome. feel really grateful that I went through some crazy shit, turned it around into some good shit and get well, That's what you do. That is what you do. You <laughs> go through crazy shit and you turn it around into good shit. That's just what Jesse Strahan does. Um, is there any other trips you're looking at taking? Are you eyeing any other places you want to visit? Um, I'm chilling for now post-surgery. I definitely, mm -hmm. I want to go back to Banff, Canada soon. We're going there in October. I'll be there. Are you? Oh my gosh. It's so beautiful. Have you been? I have been. She okay. has not. And since the last time we've talked, I've actually gotten married and that's where the wedding was originally supposed to be was in Banff, but we couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't sign the contract with COVID going kind of crazy at the time. And we're just like, if, if COVID wrecks this we're not getting our money back people are going to be getting quarantined at the border and all that stuff it was it was amazing we had it in sedona which was incredible oh still beautiful yeah the best and uh but banff is one of those things where it's like we we have some unfinished business with banff so we're we're, we're going there in october it'll be a really good time so you've been to banff then um, that's where my best friend got married. I think uh, I got married to the castle. Yeah. That's where we were. Yeah. That's well, exactly where on the terrace. It was un. it's unreal. It's no unreal. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. No shit. Cause we, um, so we have full disclosure. We have like one of the chase Sapphire cards and we're just like, we have a bunch of points and we're just like, let's just, let's just pony up and let's use these points for that, for the Fairmont. So we're staying there for a few Good. days treating um, ourselves and, that's where it was supposed to be at that terrace. That's no shit. When was that? When was that um, wedding? Uh, September 24th of 2019. Wow. Just before, just before COVID hit. Before wow. COVID, yeah. It was unreal. And like, obviously we, we went to the park and like the park was super accessible. Got to wheel the park. Oh, that's great. That place is on, I, I tell people I'm like, Banff Canada is like Bob Ross just threw up everywhere. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah i know someone who's there right now that sent me a picture of marine like yesterday i was like oh i can't wait to go Cannot it's wait. so pretty yeah definitely i want to go back to Banff for sure and then australia oh awesome hell yeah that's yeah. all yeah i would love to i've i've yet to do that i'd love to go there as well and uh yeah that's awesome i, I love having something on the calendar or a place to visit like on the horizon just to kind of keep you excited keep you motivated to go check out something new i just 
you know, a whole new life and new energy when you do look at new cultures and you visit different places. So yes, especially um, like somewhere that has the energy Banff has too. That's I mean, freaking awesome. you guys are going to have a blast. Enjoy, yeah. have so yeah. much fun. Go get your yeah. picture in front of that terrace. You should dress up. She should take the dress. That's you- a good, yeah, we should. <laughs> We should, should re- reenact yeah, yeah. seriously get a photographer while you're there and freaking take like get done up like it's your wedding day and get your photos like go to the lake get your photos done there and and get everything that you were gonna do for the yeah. wedding like That's you have that idea. moment sure i should probably be up for that too that sounds like a really good idea um so kind of like segue into this final note i guess is uh we're talking about happy stuff now. That's the pursuit of happiness podcast. And you're a perfect guest for this. You're welcome back freaking anytime. Um, and something that I've seen you post numerous times and you mentioned last podcast is that happiness is a choice. I think that's something you live by. Um, I think it strikes a different chord when you say it too. Um, can you explain what happiness is a choice? Just explain what that is and what that means to you. So, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you're like 10 minutes later than you needed to wake up and then (laughs) you drop and spill your coffee and then you have to change and then you get in the car and now you're in traffic and that person cut you off and you had to slam on the brakes and spill your coffee again and you get out and you drop your keys and then that, that person that you don't really like to work with is also in a shit mood and then like you have two choices, right? When all, when life starts to stack against you like that, you have two choices to face it. And I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes I give into it and I'm just in a shit ass mood. And I'm like, this is where I'm at. But most of the time I make the choice of like, okay, this, I can't control that. The shit happened. Let's move on make the best of the rest of the day. Happiness is truly a choice. The way that you choose to live will create your happiness. For me, it's like fitness, nutrition, mental growth, those three things together. And then God at the top of all of it for me. Right. But like fitness, nutrition, mental growth. If you focus on those three things, the rest of your life is going to be a good life. I guarantee it because those three things produce so much serotonin and so much goodness in your mind that it's, it's untouchable. And so if you make the choice to have good habits, you are choosing happiness. You are choosing the easier road in life. It's not always easy to make that choice because your mind's going to argue with you because it's uncomfortable. It's not like I'm lazy as shit. I want to stay in bed all day. I literally have conversations. I'm like, Jesse, you have to get up. Let's go. You have to move. Like I have to get myself moving. I have to have those conversations because I'm also very lazy. Humans are just naturally that way. We don't want to do it. But if we make the choice to prioritize those three things, we will create happiness in our life. That happiness is created through that. And, And we focus so much on external things to make us happy. It's the internal things that we do for self. Super powerful. It's so true. It's so true. I mean, Jesus, when you went through that story of like you spill your coffee and you drop your keys, and yeah, that's like everybody every day, pretty much, right? And right? I think a lot of people are just like, it's one of those days, right? So my just... best friend, my best friend Jamie says, and this is the one that got married in Banff, so it's perfect full circle here. There you go. She says, Jesse, it's not a bad life; it's just a bad moment. So why would you let that bad moment create a bad life? Mm. And I'm like, well, when you put it that way, right? <laughs> it's the truth. That's very true. Yeah, that is very true. It, it it really does come down to perspective and remembering you can't control those things, but you, you can't control how you react to those things. I know that's not always easy. 
it's not. We all, we all struggle with that, right? Yeah. Especially when it's like it feels like an avalanche of negative things keep coming your way. It's it's easy to throw up your hands and why me? Um, I quit. I say that. I say it a lot. Obviously, I haven't yet, but damn it, I do say that a lot. I'm like, I just can't do this anymore. But then you like somehow you pull it out and you're able to keep doing it. Yeah, and then you know sometimes you got to just like you know, hit the hay for that night and hit the reset button the next day and say, it's a new day. Let's start over and you know, make today better than yesterday. I, I love this shit. I'm ready to go, like go run a marathon right now. Let's go. Let's go get <laughs> got work to do, things to do. We're going to make it great. Well, that's awesome. All right, Jesse, how can people contact you, follow you, stay in touch with you, all that stuff. Give me the goods. All right. So it's at Jesse Stratchum. It's actually Strawham, but looks like Stratchum, S-T-R-A-C-H-A-M. And it's J-E-S-I, just Jesse. That's my full name. Don't call me Jessica. I won't reply. Uh, <laughs> be sure, honestly, before supporting me, be sure to follow Wheel With Me Fitness and Wheel With Me Foundation. That's Wheel With Me. Um, please follow the organizations, give them love, give them support. That's really the bread and butter of my life. Um, as far as like what gives me fulfillment, what makes me happy. I'm just very fortunate to get to serve my community and, and serve humanity. So please show them love. And honestly, if you guys enjoyed today's conversation, if you gained a nugget from it, share that with a friend. You, like, yes, oh. you, they gained a nugget. They gained if, you, nugget. <laughs> if you gained a nugget, share that nugget with a friend and be like, Hey, I gained this nugget. I think you can to listen to this conversation because that's how this podcast will grow and stay around. And so please, please, please do that. And, and thank you again for having me. I just, I feel grateful to get to come back and, and have this conversation yeah. with you and get to share the growth. I'm going to have to go back and listen to the first episode so I can see how much I've grown. That's my favorite thing to do. It's yeah, it's great. I listened to it last week and I'm just like, what a great conversation. And I just, I'm so happy I got to do round two because it's like, Oh, I want to ask that. Oh, I forgot to ask it. Well, I'm going to dive deeper on that. And I just appreciate having a guest like you that's like, I can throw anything out there as uncomfortable as it may or may not seem. And you answer it with a smile on your face and you're honest about it. And that's like, I love that. I genuinely love, I love having second conversations because there is a sense of comfort there. And there is like the feeling around of how the conversation is going to go is kind of gone. And plus you just have a great attitude and perspective as it is. So um, I think we all need a little Jesse in our lives. So I, I appreciate that come on back anytime. I'm going to wish you the best of luck with the surgery. Hope it goes as smooth as possible. I know if anybody's prepared for it, it is certainly you both mentally and physically. Um, we are recording this in early August. What's, what is the date that you're having this surgery? Uh, the 22nd of August. Okay. So if you're listening before, wish Jesse good luck. And if you're listening to this after, check up on her, make sure she's kicking butt. And three, what, three weeks after, you're going to give yourself a three-week recovery time? Is that what you said? Yeah, because I'm giving a keynote. So I got, <laughs> I got things to do. Look, life doesn't stop just because some shit happens. And this is honestly, it's my second revision in eight years. So I'm like, it's a second rodeo. We've done this once before. Let's just mm. go back at it. <laughs> awesome. Well, like I said, best of luck. We'll be following your journey and I expect you'll be on here again at, at no time. And uh, yeah, we'll keep the conversation continued. And like I said, like I, I think one of the greatest things I can do as a podcast host is just like get you on the calendar. And I, I, I'm taking, I take notes and like, I got some questions. But I was like, I don't even need to do it with Jesse. I don't even need to do this. I just kind of like hit record and let the conversation go it because you're going to take it. There is no concern when it comes to talking with you. So 
Jesse, thank it's you, Ryan. A, yeah, it's been a blast. Come back anytime. Like I said, best of luck, and we'll talk soon, okay? Absolutely. Have a great rest of your uh, Saturday. You too. <laughs> major shout out to Jesse for joining me on this episode. Just a brilliant mindset. I'm just baffled. Honestly, I've talked to her multiple times now. Blows me away how she's bounced back from this catastrophic injury to having a mindset that we all should aim for. Just just incredible. Absolutely incredible. Please follow her. Follow her story. Be inspired by her. And uh, as she mentioned, sharing is caring. So please, please share this episode with friends and family. Share all episodes, but especially this one. What a great conversation. Please follow me on Instagram at the Pursuit of Happiness podcast. Also, do not forget to subscribe and leave a review. It is very helpful to my podcast and I really appreciate it. But until then, I'll catch you all next time on the Pursuit of Happiness podcast.